Good morning. Welcome to all those that are worshiping online with us at Bush Lake and in our Woodside gathering, as well as those that are here. If you're a guest, I just pray you'll find this to be a meaningful day. We're all grateful for this weekend. And those who sacrifice their lives for a freedom that we don't take for granted, the very, very wonderful country we get to live in and the joys that come with it. If you're a sports fan, you had a great week this past week. You know, Phil Mickelson winning. PGA Championship, first time we've had anybody 50 years um, or older um, win that championship. This is such good news for everybody who's 50 and older right now. We're just feeling inspired <laughs> by Phil. Way to go, Phil. That's, that, we can do so much more than you could think. And uh, if you're a wild hockey fan, you're thrilled with what happened this week, at least in the front part of the week, when we were down 3-1 to one in that series, playoff series, and we came to tie the series 3-3, three to three, only to lose it on Friday night. Oh, in the sports world, they call this the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat could be the proper caption for the man named Job, as we are studying for six weeks this, uh, this beautiful man and uh, his faith and his journey, and we're encouraging you to read along as we go forward. But here's a guy who is winning at everything. He had wealth beyond any wealth that he would ever be able to use. It was so much wealth. He had health, um, just a, a guy that was in a good place physically. He had an amazing family. And then this horrible thing happened along the way. In a series of unthinkable events, Job loses everything. The wealth, gone. All of his livestock, all of his possessions are destroyed. His health, gone. He gets a disease and finds himself with a debilitating, painful skin disease that makes it hard to even get up and move. And then he has the most unspeakable tragedy related to his family. All 10 of his kids are killed in a cataclysmic event and they're gone at once. And then his wife abandons him. Not a good day for Job. What a terrible tragedy that he goes through. And Job endures baffling and unexpected grief while trusting God. And this is why the story is included in the scriptures, for us to garner wisdom as we learn of it. Because nearly everyone here will experience some kind of calamity in your lifetime. And when it happens, Honestly, you think this is crazy. This is undeserved. And you'll ask the question, why, a thousand times over before that dark cloud ever passes over. It's disturbing to our sense of what life should be all about. Well, Job's story is recorded for us that we might find help living through those cataclysmic events that come in life's journey while trusting God. This is the one we turn to, Job here. And that's why the book is so relevant for us. The news of Job's calamities really spread pretty quickly, not just in his backyard, but to nations that are surrounding. This is a man who was so blessed that his reputation followed him everywhere. People knew of Job and the blessings God had given to him. And this was a guy who blessed others freely out of that which God had given to him as well. And so it, it's like wildfire. This news goes out about the tragedy. Did you hear what happened to Job? It's much like Princess Diana when she passed. It went through the nations or Kobe Bryant. You just receive it with shock. Like how could that be possible that someone would experience such tragedy in their lives? And Job has friends that are in the nations that are surrounding him, but he has three 
friends that are particularly concerned for him, and they make a visit from their distant lands to come and visit this friend of theirs who's experiencing such tragedy because they want to bring help. And they deal with what you and I deal with when a person and a friend is hurting. How do you help someone when you feel so helpless in their given situation? That's where I want to go today. I want to speak specifically around how we help hurting friends. A few years ago, I did a series called Friendology. In that series, I identified um, qualities of friends, that there are adders, subtractors, there are multipliers and dividers. And the invitation in that series is in your friendship group, find adders and multipliers because you really need them. But then you can't parse it out that black and white. The reality is some of your friends will be all four. They'll be adders, subtractors, multipliers, and dividers. And we find that with these three friends who come and they visit him on the front end as adders and multipliers, on the back end as subtractors and dividers. That's the picture that you have. Every message that I have heard from the book of Job that, that speaks about these friends Speak about these friends and all the terrible things they did as a friend. You wouldn't expect a friend to be so terrible than the things that they say and they do. In fact, there's 20 chapters of terribleness that I'm inviting you to read about. So. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to go the opposite direction. Because even though that be true, the way they responded on the front end was really good. And we have something to learn from them. And I think finding the principles in God's word that speak to the whole of what it means to be an adder, one who knows how to come alongside and help those that are hurting is a gift to all of us because we'll get to be that voice in our own personal journey. So let me just ask this question as I jump into the text here in a moment. And you'll be glad to know I'm doing the upside of the positive things that friends do because that's just in a few short verses compared to the 20 chapters that we'd be sitting with through the weekend on, uh, on the subject. But here's the question. I know in your sphere of influence right now, you probably have at least one friend who is hurting. Do you know how to come alongside of them and good if you do. If you need some help in knowing how to come alongside of them, today you're going to get it from Job. This is an instructional message. So you might want to um, take a pen and paper and write down some thoughts, tuck it into your Bible or someplace because someday you'll want this kind of wisdom that comes from God's word. Or take out your phone if you take notes that way. It doesn't bother me at all. I know that you're totally listening to everything that I'm saying. <laughs> you won't be distracted. Um, so let's jump into it. We find it in Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Nehemothite, and right now you're thinking, Joel, I'm glad you're reading this and not me. <laughs> when these friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, being Job, they set out from their homes. And they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And they began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So few verses packed with so much wisdom so I wanted to do today is share with you six of the things these friends did and complement it with what I will call an adder insight because I want you to become adders 
and multipliers to friends who are hurting, not subtractors and dividers. So I'm gonna give you six of these insights, they're, they're briefly stated, and then um, at the end I'm just gonna share two of the things they didn't do so well, and how they became subtractors, with the encouragement that you not be a subtractor, but an adder. So you ready to go? Let's jump into these six beautiful principles of how to help a hurting friend. First of all, they heard. Even though they were separated by distance, remember the news spread very quickly and they heard it. And they were shocked and they were crushed by the news of this unspeakable tragedy that had come to their dear friend, Job. They weren't so wrapped up in their own business that they had become disconnected from his life, so they felt it right there in that given moment. They didn't have a too bad, too sad kind of mindset for the reality of Job's family. No, they heard the news, they cared, and they really wanted to do something. But then the question comes, what? What do you do when you feel so helpless? So here's our first um, adder insight that I give to you. Ask. God, what do you want me to do? Go to God first. Now, when you first hear the news, your inclination is to pray for the person or the family and the tragedy they've gone through. Oh, God, help them in their time of need. But you know what happens to us naturally? We start to think of um, the question, what do I do next? And obstacles start to rise up. So we find ourselves maybe not even doing anything or delaying in to do something because we're not quite sure what to do. And the three things that tend to rise up is first of all, uncertainty. I'm just not sure what to say or do. Or the second thing tends to be fear. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to do the wrong thing. And the third thing that tends to rise is just flat out discomfort because it hits your own triggers. Perhaps a lost time in your own personal journey or the tragedy is so significant that you can't imagine what it would be like for that family to go through it, and you're not sure that you could even sit with them in the middle of it because it unsettles your very sense of peace that you feel you need to have in your life. It may even nauseate you in light of what that tragedy might be. These tend to be the things that we go through, but it's not about us, is it? When we have that prompting to come and give help, it's about helping others, and it's not about us. So let me just encourage you. The very first thing we do when somebody's hurting and they need help and we aren't sure what to do is go to God, listen to the prompting of the Spirit, and follow it. As simple as that. I'm not sure if you realize that when God breathed life into you, part of the purpose that he has for you is to be a voice of encouragement to others who are in need. Isn't that a sacred privilege? So you have to see yourself as one whom God wants to use because he truly does want to use us this way. So the encouragement is to hear the news, then hear the Spirit. I'm gonna have you say that out loud with me. Hear the news and hear the Spirit. One more time. Hear the news, hear the Spirit. I just wanna reinforce this principle because the inclination, the gravitational pull, goes to the obstacle so fast we start to avoid people rather than to be present with people. But if we go to God first, believing that he wants to use me, he begins to pave a path. He'll give you what you need in terms of what to say and what to do. Go to God first. Second, they came. Job's friends traveled to meet him. 
You know, they could have stayed at home and just prayed. That's more than acceptable. We're called to pray. God has purposed us to pray as well. Wherever we might be, we can pray. And the efficacy of prayer is powerful, as we know from the scriptures. God hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. But I want you to notice that these friends, they go the extra mile. They sacrifice their time. They leave their homes and their families. They spend their own money to make this trip. So clearly, they're sacrificing at a higher level. Let me give you a second adder insight. Be willing to sacrifice time and energy for your friends in their time of need. And can I say, as a caveat, it doesn't have to be in the big ways that these friends do. Most often, it's in the little ways, the little things you do and say truly do matter. Uh, as part of the preparation for this message, I reached out to three of my friends who in the last number of years have gone through unspeakable tragedy. And I said to them, would you give me permission and would you answer this question? What one thing or two did your friends do or say that really helped you in your time of need? And second, I asked, what one thing or two was really unhelpful to you in your time of need? I got more than two from all of them. <laughs> so I'm gonna just sprinkle the dust of their wisdom into some of what I'm sharing here. And one particular uh, gentleman said something that I thought was really good and profound. And he said, it's not in the big things, it's in the simple things. And he used this word several times. It's the specific things. The specific things. Several examples. A brief note communicating a specific memory or experience brings a lift and helpful encouragement versus just a general statement of well-wishing. Uh, a specific phone call with a specific word of encouragement, this individual along with others actually said, um, a written note um, is better than a text and a phone call is better than a text. Nothing wrong with a text, but in a text-based world, we start to think that's enough. But when you go the extra mile, and you make that call, and you write that note, it really matters. It brings lift to them in great ways. A specific question. Ask a specific question that opens up the door for them to share their journey, and that question is not, how are you doing? That's our default, because we don't know what to say. So we say, how are you doing? We can be more creative than this. Because you put yourself in the shoes of one who's just experienced a significant tragedy, and you ask the question, how are you doing? How do you think they're going to respond in a situation? How do you think I'm doing? It's terrible what's going on right now. Ask a question that goes into the soul place. My favorite question is, how's your soul? Now I realize, Joel, that you're saying, that's such a pastor's question. <laughs> and it probably is. I don't know. But I ask that question. It stops everybody cold. It opens up a door every single time. I've never been disappointed. What question might open the door? A specific time to meet for coffee. Not a general time, let's get together sometime, but a specific time, Thursday at 10 o'clock, would you like to meet for half an hour for coffee? In every situation, that specific invitation means something greatly versus the good intent of let's get together sometime along the way. And then the specific actions to catch their eye, to hold their hand, to create a tender embrace. One of them said to me, a hug can say so much more than any words. Words are communicated through the value of that warm embrace. A simple, specific act of kindness. These are some examples that were given. What is not helpful? 
don't give them a job to do, like saying, call me if I can do anything for you. What I've done is just removed myself and put the onus on the individual who's already grieving to have to do more in order to make you feel good that you offered help. I think it's such good wisdom. It requires an energy that attends to the Lord. They came and they went the extra mile, but the extra mile can be done in a simple way. The third thing they did is they coordinated with each other. In verse 11, it says, they made an appointment together to come and mourn and comfort him. In short, they reached out to one another and said, we could do more together than maybe we could do alone. So what might that be? Somebody, now they may all felt it, but somebody said, I'm gonna reach out and see if we could do something together. And sometimes that's really a great way to go. Let me give you another adder insight related to this. Ask, will joining with others bring greater comfort? And I say ask rather than assume or presume because sometimes the tragedy is so great it can overwhelm them if we bring too much. But by and large, we find that the unity of gathered friends brings a greater goodness to the helping need of uh, a person who's hurting in their time and place. And so unified friends can become adders by coming together. I just love our own small groups here at Westwood and all that our small groups do um, to care for one another because they have, you know, 8, 10, 12 people in their small group and so they live the highs and the lows of life. I just learned this last week of a group, small group of men who um, have come alongside two men who've lost their jobs, one in the last nine months, one in the last year. And this group of men have come alongside of them in their journey. And one of them just got a job and that job has something they could celebrate. So they're with them in the thick of it all, and it makes all the difference in the world. It makes me so glad that we intentionally invite you into the place of a small group experience because God works through that unity of those who are gathered together. So I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, I'm going to put on the screen here, if you'd like to join one of our small groups, we're just launching a group, uh, a series of groups over the summer in what's a series called Rooted. For those who've been here over the course of the winter, a couple months ago, I invited Alex Moe, who's new to our staff, overseeing small group ministry. And he's come with vision. I always think I'm a visionary leader, but I love it when people come and get a vision greater than me. And he says, Joel, I would like to start 15 small groups in the summertime here at Westwood. We've never started groups in the summertime because I said to him, do you know what Minnesotans do in the summertime? It's really hard to, to launch small groups. And he goes, no, I've got a clear vision. This is what it's supposed to be. So I said, okay, if that's the case, I interviewed him on this platform when I introduced you to Alex. And I said, Alex, cast your vision. And then I complimented and said, if this vision is of God, then I know that those that are hearing today, 15 people will rise up to be a small group leader in this new Reddit series that we're gonna do over the summer. I just give you an update. They're just starting now. There are not 15, but 19 groups getting started over the summer. <laughs> so a new paradigm. I love these small groups. A new paradigm to join a small group. And if you're not in one and wanna have a journey through Rooted through the summer, there's still time this week. It's gonna be closing up at this time. This week, you can go ahead and join in. We encourage you to do that. Get involved. Job's small group of friends were adders first. And did you notice their goal was to comfort? Not cure, not fix. The inclination is we put pressure on ourselves to have to do more than we have the capacity to do. So sometimes we don't do anything. No, our call is to comfort. Um, Henri Nouwen said it this way. God does not require us to repair the broken, 
put together what has fallen apart, reunite what is disjointed, restore what has decayed, or heal what is ill. That's what God does. Isn't that liberating? Find freedom, but he does work in us to bring comfort, and we all can do that. And we go to God first. He gives us the wisdom of how we can do that. And then fourth, they showed solidarity with Job by doing a couple of things, if you caught it in the text as I was reading it, by expressing appropriate emotion. When they saw Job, um, they couldn't recognize him. That had to be an astonishing thing. Job, we have known you, but I mean, immediately they were undone by what they saw. And we're told they lifted up their voices and wept for their friend. They just had the right response in the right way, the right emotion for the right person at just the right time. They deeply grieved for Job. I think about that and the gift of tears. You know, for us who had, and I, I'm included in this, for us who have come from a northern Scandinavian background, not showing emotion is kind of considered the way to go. Don't show your emotion. Anybody have that kind of training instruction? Could I just see more than one hand, please? If this is here, it's, it's northern Scandinavians, man. We just bottle it all up right in here. But no, no, God gave us tears for a reason. My wife, who is all Swedish, still has that gift of mercy and tears. And in our early years, I had to adapt to that because I had this inclination. You're crying? Please don't cry. Let me fix it. That's not what, and she had to finally just get in my face gently and say, please stop trying to fix me. <laughs> just let me be who God made me to be. What a gift that's been in our marriage and to be able to say that. I've since come to understand the beauty and the power of tears. We, we held a healing service here um, several years ago and I did a teaching on healing from the scripture. We invited anyone who would like to receive healing to make their way to the front. We had prayer teams all in two. One person would um, recite the prayer and offer oil and the other person would support and then we rotate those prayers between each other. I invited Jer Carrie to join me for, for those four services and and she gladly said yes, but she did not pray words in the entire time. Not, not one time did she say words. She had tears for every person that came, which made for a very long day for me <laughs> and a longer day for her because you know it's exhausting to have tears, to feel what other people feel at a time when they're hurting so greatly. But her tears did more to minister to the people than any words that I could ever offer in prayer. Because God simply touches the heart of the matter with tears. It did for these friends, and let it be the same for you. And it also, we find uh, a showing of solidarity when they expressed proper action. In their tradition, that included a grief and sorrow that was done by ripping your, your, your garments and then putting dust or ash on your head in a spirit of solidarity, of oneness. I'm with you in your suffering and pain place. We don't do it quite like that today, but we still have our places where we feel the need to unite. God gave us that, by the way. We had a 10-year old boy here um, some years ago who got cancer and unfortunately fell to that cancer and would pass away but his friend group his Sunday school class and his closest friend group when he lost his hair they all shaved their head off because that's a spirit of unity it says we're one together there's a solidarity or I think of what happened in 2013 the Boston um, marathon bombing that took place and then if you recall they created these wristbands that said Boston strong 
And that created a movement so that whenever there's a tragedy in our nation, we tend to get wristbands that name that city or that need and says, you know, New Orleans strong, whatever a case might be. But it's this point of solidarity. They did it then, we do it today. Let me give you an adder insight to this. Authentic expression of emotion both validates and it comforts the hurting. So find ways to identify and to connect with the pain of those that you are with. They will appreciate it. These friends um, were a welcome balm to Job's beleaguered soul because he felt as if they were one with him. And when you're really going through a rough patch, to know that somebody is one with you, you don't need a crowd, but to know that one is one with you, it really helps you deal with the tragic loss that you might be going through. So you have this beautiful picture of coming alongside and bringing solidarity. Then the fifth, they stayed with Job, which by the way was not a short hospital visit with a quick word and a prayer, and they're gone forever. We read that they sat down on the ground and were with him for seven days and seven nights. Wow, that's astonishing that anyone could stay that long. And then you have to ask the question, should I stay that long? I'm, Carrie and I have dear friends, and we went to visit them out in, or in uh, California in the desert one year, many years ago. And we're trying to navigate how long to stay, et cetera. We're in conversation. He said, I'll, the host said, I'll answer that for you. He said, uh, three days. And I go, okay, three days is good. But why three days? He said, because fish stink after three days. <laughs> And the idea is you could overstay your welcome. And you think about it, even with your own family at Christmas time, sometimes a day is just plenty, and you're, you're good with it. And in time of need, you have to just discern what is the timing that is most helpful for the person who's going through what they're going through. They showed their willingness, these friends, to stay with them as long as is needed, and I think that's the intent of the seven days and seven nights. Here's an adder insight. Friends in pain may need you for more than one day or one hour. They may need you to check in. One of the persons that I spoke with said something really good to me. They had lost their son, a young adult son. And one of the things that has helped them most is when their son whom they had lost, um, the friends of that son call and say, how are you doing, where are you at? What? You know, they just lean into it with this family. And that's been several years ago helpful thing to remember and uh, to come alongside. And then finally, number six, they didn't speak. Perhaps the oddest part of this whole story is that Job's friends didn't speak at all for seven days and seven nights, if that's a literal application. Again, the word seven means complete. So they didn't speak until they were, until it was right to speak, until the, he was ready to even hear from them. I just think it's helpful because our inclination is to want to speak rather than to be silent, as though silence doesn't do anything, but God uses the silence to communicate messages of encouragement, of help and hope. We get nervous, and this is when we tend to say the wrong things because our nervousness causes us to try to fill the empty air. But Job's friends recognized from the moment they arrived on the scene that this was uh, a place where Job wasn't ready to lean into. He, he was not in a place to hear words, and so they stayed with him and expressed sympathy through silence. Let me give you an adder's insight. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. That being present is enough. I love this because we don't have to penetrate the silence. One of the three friends that I spoke with said something so good that a friend would join her 
and her deep loss, and they would go for walks regularly, sometimes for great distances, and not say anything, but it was never silent. That the Holy Spirit was speaking to them in that walk to the end that they did it often. The bond of affection with Jesus, the bond of affection with each other deepened, and there was help and hope and even healing in that journey experience. These are the gifts that we get when you speak to attend to them, to be present with them. And I suppose if I could add in there one thing not to do from my friends is don't hijack their story and make it about your story. Sometimes we feel the silence by speaking about what we know about. So if they just lost their mom or dad, you speak about when you lost your mom or dad, but you've just taken it away from them. They just need you to be present with them in the moment. So try to refrain from making it about you in your lost place in the journey. This is, isn't this good, Job's wisdom that we find in these friends that help us in everyday realities in our own personal journey? Of course, it switches now in chapter three, and all the way through chapter 23, you can find the wrong things that they did and how they became subtractors. I strongly encourage you to read, since I've um, given you such an appetite for what they ended up doing in this deal, but it's well worth the reading. It truly is. Let me just mention two things that they did. One, they falsely judged Job. They talked too much. If you read it, you'll see their speeches are lengthy. They accuse him of sin. There's no way you can be going through this without a sin being present in your life that must be so horrific that God would allow this to happen to you. And, you know, he's innocent. And have you ever been accused of something and you're innocent of it? It's just depleting, and it does that effect for him. It just makes him more miserable, Job, because they're communicating their wisdom and what they think needs to happen. And then secondly, they misrepresented God. They just had this view of God that when you do good things, God shows his favor and pleasure. If you do bad things, then God shows his displeasure and he judges you. That's very much the mindset that they had during that time. And yet their words and their logic was false and their conclusions were wrong. They offered Job some really bad counsel through these chapters, if you read them, and they upset their friend with their wisdom, and also you'll see that God condemns them boldly by the time you get into the end of this. We want to be really careful as friends to not start connecting why we think they're going through everything they're going through when we do not know. That's the uh, subtractor insight. I've given you adder ones. Here's the subtractor insight. Don't assume you know the reasons for a person's misfortunes or offer counsel that inflames their pain. And if I could express the words of Job, I like this guy so much. He even has a sense of humor in the whole thing. In Job 16:2, this is what Job says of his friends. He says, you are miserable comforters. <laughs> that good? Let me just tell you what you're all about. You are miserable comforters. Avoid throwing gasoline on the fire and escalating um, your friend's painful place. Well, these are the things that we find in Job, and I want to encourage you to be an adder and a multiplier, and avoid being a subtractor and a divider with a friend who's hurting. So I'm gonna give you a place, just a quiet moment to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I know I have. I identified a person earlier in our service that could use some help. And if you're really doing a great job, give thanks to God that you have been given his wisdom to that end. If you need some help, and most of us do, perhaps one of these things really made a difference and gave some new insight for you. 
that you find yourself coming into their lives and you hear and you care. And then you come and sacrifice time or energy, maybe even money. In simple ways, it doesn't have to be great ways to bring help to those who are hurting. You find yourself um, in a place where you come alongside the person and you coordinate with other friends if it's appropriate. And then you find solidarity where you can be one with them. And then you stay with them for the appropriate amount of time. It does take discernment. And then you're, you're quiet and try not to speak too much. Listen much, speak little. Just to refresh you, let's go before the Lord in prayer. I'm asking that he would give you a compass, perhaps today, this week, to step in and help a hurting friend. Our mission is based on open hands. So I'm gonna invite you to take your notes aside. Just place your hands open on your lap or wherever you'd like and just receive this from the Lord and let him direct your path. Father God, we know that you see the hurting in our lives. Help us to see it and to feel compassion and to care the way you feel compassion and care. To do the things that go the extra mile versus avoiding them altogether. To find a place of friendship that perhaps could come and bring a lift or a solidarity that would say, we feel you, we know what you're going through. Or as best we can, we wanna be with you in it. Or, Father, to stay the appropriate amount of time to say very little of these things what is it that the Lord might be prompting you now? Yeah, listen to the Lord and then you'll have a path. Just go before him quietly and ask God what you should do. Lord, we come with open hands because it's a posture of receptivity to your wisdom and your counsel when we don't know how to come alongside a hurting friend. So we're saying, help us to do it well. Help us to bring help and hope. And because you are the supreme adder to everything good in life, might we become adders and multipliers of goodness as well. So we posture ourselves to receive, knowing that which we receive can be extended to others because of what we've received from you, compassion and comfort, it blesses others. To that end, use us as your instruments of peace, of help and hope in Jesus' name.